Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories, learn about their molding moments, tipping points, and spectacular takeoffs. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like, what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, I speak with Kevin Honeycutt, who's challenging the status quo in education and challenging teachers to deliver a more individualized experience for students based on their strengths and talents. Kevin, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's exciting to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So you know, I came across you by way of our one of our listeners on Twitter who you know mentioned uh, your work that you're doing in education, and I was immediately intrigued. So can you tell us a, a bit about yourself, your background, your story, and your journey, and how that has led you to doing the work that you're doing in the world today? Well, thanks. Okay, so uh, I'll do the elevator speech. Um, I grew up in poverty, uh, the son of an alcoholic outlaw. Um, I attended school in, in 20 states growing up. Um, I was always that kid that was in a school for a week and then gone when dad broke the law. Um, and so I learned a lot. Um, at, at a young age, I, I saw school for what it was, um, a system, you know, a, a very carefully calibrated system to control the behavior of kids from 8 in the morning till 3.30. Um, and I saw that, that there were certain kinds of kids in societal roles in every school, no matter where you went, whether it was Tennessee or Pennsylvania or Texas or, or wherever. Um, there were only a certain amount of slots kids could inhabit. And then after that, you're outcasts or losers or druggies or you're called something, but you don't fit one of the good slots. Um, and it happened everywhere. So when I, when I grew up, and uh, in spite of all those, those setbacks, I went to college and became a teacher, an art teacher, uh, because I knew in art I could let kids be who they were and I could let them be amazing and I could bend the rules and no one would bother me because no one bothers the art teacher because no one understands the art teacher. So uh, that's where I hung out for, for 13 years. Uh, gave a big piece of my life. A lot of the outcast kids and the kids who wear black and flip you off in the parking lot came to my class and I think they're the inventors and the entrepreneurs of the future. I think I think because they reside in this weird place uh, that's not normal, they have not normal ideas, which to me is invention or creation or could be. Um, after that, I, I left the classroom, I left education and became a, a, a guy who teaches teachers. And I work at, for a nonprofit educational service center and I do staff development and I speak. But I've leveraged social media. I had a podcast called Driving Questions in Education that I leveraged to number one in video education in the U.S. Uh, by interviewing people the way you're interviewing me. Um, and that got my shingle out a little farther and I started presenting on, in other states and other countries. And now I'd say I travel all over the world. Uh, and my message is, you know, we've got to change school. We've, 
and here are the tools. We have all of these new tools. We have new spices and we're still making meatloaf. Come on, we can customize education. And so that's what, on a daily basis, I'm somewhere in the world uh, changing hearts and minds and uh, trying to move this thing in better directions. Hmm. You know, I, I want to go back to the very beginning of this. You, you mentioned growing up as the son of an outlaw, an alcoholic. And, and to mm -hmm. me, that's really fascinating for numerous reasons. Uh, so I have a lot of questions about that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the very first one being sort of how that um, experience of, you know, a challenging childhood and difficult parents sort of has influenced and shaped your worldview and has, you know, influenced kind of the way you live in the world today. Yeah, my whole family is of this opinion that if, if something attacks you or hurts you, uh, you don't attack it back, but you, you make a change. Uh, you try. I say the best way out of darkness is to create your own light. Uh, so we build. We build things. And so I look at all of that. that some people would call pain and setback and, and a great excuse for doing nothing with your life. And I, I think the opposite, that that was given to me as rocket fuel, and it propels me. Uh, to make things better for the next kid or the kid after that and make sure teachers understand just because a kid has long hair and a bad attitude doesn't mean they're a bad person that the, that's that's a veneer a survival veneer that they're using to get through the day don't attack them more don't indict them for their condition when I say this uh, in first person they listen to me and if I change one teacher in that room and they, he treats a, a kid different that's a good day so these are sacred days to me that I stand on stage and I get to say these things. But I have to win those teachers over first. I have to be funny. I have to be infotaining. Uh, and I, you're going to laugh. You're going to cry. I'm going to take you all over the place. Uh, I'm not going to try to be an expert that outknows you. I'm going to win you over by being you. And then I'm going to take you toward a vision of where we might might go. Mm -hmm. That's I don't know if I said anything that answered your question. No, at all. Yeah, you said plenty that answered my, my, my question, um, the, the, which raises more questions, which is something you'll get used to as we talk over the next hour. Uh, you know, interestingly <laughs> enough, so I, I really, this is a question I've asked, you know, sort of multiple versions of, but, you know, you turned out the way you did, and yet somebody else could have the same exact circumstances and could end up in jail or in prison. And I'm wondering if you think there's something that actually separates those two people. You know, Sean Acor calls it post-traumatic growth versus post-traumatic stress. And do, do you I think see. that something differentiates people who experience one or the other? I Yes, and it's such a good question because I'm writing a book right now and I'm on that chapter. Uh, what I believe um, saved me. Um, I think of life as a, as a game of Plinko. This is crazy, but help me out here. Okay, and it, one direction in the Plinko board takes you toward a really tough life. And the other direction takes you toward having choices and, and having success and having happiness and raising kids who have shoes, all right? And so every peg that you hit, right? I think most people think they fall through there and they hit these pegs and look what life did to me. And You get to drive. And so as a kid even, whenever I'd hit a hard situation, I'd know I can choose this or I can choose this. And I think most people just bounce. They don't drive and they blame life for their condition. And I think I had this this compass. It was in there. Now, it was, it was modified and it was refined by mentors. And I'm not talking about my dad. I, my mom and uh, teachers and crazies and artists and fools and <laughs> creators, um, they got a hold of me and, and pointed me. It got my compass off due, due north. So, so I would fall 
you know, in the right direction. So my grades went up and I got the scholarship and I went to college and I wanted to quit whenever the trailer park would make me want to do something that would burn it all down because that's the natural tendency whenever we get scared and we're insecure is to burn it down rather than face it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just leaned a little bit toward that other side and fell the right way. And I'm trying to create a, a metaphor for kids now because I know where they're at. I know how they feel. I've been there. Um, I'm trying to sort that out. But I would, I would give a lot of credit to teachers and mentors and janitors and lunch ladies um, and bus drivers. And I tell teachers, it wasn't always the teachers who had the official role. Sometimes they, they didn't do it. They were on the job. They were too professional to be real with me. It was the humans that I ran into who they usually were messed up people. And <laughs> I could tell they were doing the best they could. I spotted something I recognized in those, in those people. So I think bent people have a power, power to be mentors uh, to a lot of kids who are in tough situations. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's interesting you mentioned having a choice, and, and that brings up yet another question for me. Uh, and this is something that I've asked one or two people on the show. You know, when we get into a difficult situation or something that really uh, can be challenging or painful, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the choice. And somebody said, you know, there's a space between stimulus and response. I believe it was Viktor Frankl that mm. gives us the opportunity to choose whether we suffer or not. And I'm wondering, you know, one, how do you develop the capability to pause in that space? Because I think that for so many of us, that response is almost instinctual. Like it, it's right. such a gut level, visceral, immediate reaction. I know it is for me when something tough happens. It's like, oh, shit, I need a drink um, right. Right. or something, you know, whatever it is to, to numb whatever I'm feeling. And I'm really, really curious um, throughout your life and throughout all these experiences, how you have, have sort of cultivated um, dealing with that space between stimulus and response. That is such a good question, and I love that, and I hadn't heard that about that space before. I would liken that to either having a gasket or not having a gasket, you know, when you're putting together a, a joint on metal. If you put in a grommet or a gasket, you know, there's some play in there in the motherboard so it doesn't get destroyed with vibration. Um, but if you don't put a gasket in there, the first vibration can break the motherboard or chip something crucial in the electronics. Um, um, so my gasket whenever a situation happened, that stop and breathe moment is a lens that I see the future through. And I know, I, here's what I started regarding. As I watched my dad destroy our lives, I started thinking, as a, as a fifth grader, he wasn't always like this. There was a time when he made a choice, and his genetics took him down a road. And he made that choice when he was 16 or 17, but what he did was throw away the future for all the people he would ever love. So, he didn't have a lens of the future. He didn't regard the kids he didn't know he would love yet or the wife that he didn't know he would abuse yet. He threw all that away. So I, I added that to my little bag. And when someone said th- something to me and I could make a choice, I would think about all <laughs> these kids I didn't have yet and these people I, you know, I didn't love yet. And I cared about them. I regarded them as if they were already there. Um, I thought about that a lot. Now, that's one piece. The other is I married a woman who was patient enough to stay with me and and heal me uh, and reflect me back to me um, and strong enough to not let me win. Um, And I've been married 24 years and I give her huge credit um, for letting me grow up. Um, She will tell you she's been married to three men in our marriage um, and they're different men. And this last one she likes the most. I've evolved through these crazy iterations. um, And the funny part is that I don't remember some of those previous lives, this is going to sound flaky, mm-hmm. but it's like my motherboard, no, my, my RAM had to clear 
for that new me to, to move in and inhabit this the reality of mine, um, um, I, it was fits and starts. Because in one generation, it's hard to come up from poverty and abuse and change. I never hit my wife. I, I, I corrected the bad things, or I tried to. And, you know, statistics will tell you that rarely happens. Most abusers abuse, um, but not me. Um, but I thought about it every day. I, every day I had to make a choice not to be what I came from. And I wanted my kid to to not have to be that too, you know. So mm. I guess thinking about the future and caring about that, and that's part of my book too, is young people don't think always, if they thought about the future, they'd make different plans. But life is a movie. It's about me, and if I die, the movie's over. So, I'm, you know, <laughs> they think in the moment. Mm-hmm. But, but I think successful people have to pre-think, preview, um, you know, plan, mm-hmm. picture the life you want so vividly that you can move into it. And if you can't see it with perfect fidelity, then your real life is the one that will always pull you back because you can see that one. Does that make sense? It does, uh, which, which actually takes me into another question. And I love this idea of that stop and breathe moment as a lens into the future. Uh, you know, I heard my, my, my business partner, Greg Hartle, say in, in a talk that he gave that, you know, in order for something to begin, sometimes something else has to end and you have to let that thing go. Um, and I, I've struggled with that in, in numerous areas of my life. Uh, but what I'm really curious about, you mentioned if you can't necessarily see it clearly, can we develop a capacity to actually learn how to see the future and at the same time sort of maintain our balance of, of living in the moment and not letting the future become a source of anxiety, but something that we look forward to. Is that mm-hmm. a totally convoluted and crazy question or does that actually make sense? Actually, you just described where I live every day of my life. Um, I fish for the future uh, while staying in the boat of the present. Um, and I use tools for this. I, I, I pan for information gold using all kinds of digital tools so I can let the world bring to me what might be next. And then I juxtapose those the inventions of the future and the inventions of today with the inventions of the past, put those together and you've got new things. And the fun part of that is like a new color arrives on your palette every day and you can paint new pictures uh, while appreciating the vistas of the past. You know, I'm a a fan of history. I collect antique photography, daguerreotypes, tintypes. I'm in love with the past. At the same time, I'm in love with the possibility of the future. And I live in this in-between place. Um, And I think it's okay. It's healthy. I know people who are so fixated on what's next that they almost become addicted to it. Mm -hmm. They can't wait to be the first one to tweet about the new tool uh, and the tool itself is fine but the possibility that a new tool creates to me is the interesting thing especially when you're talking about empowering kids to build futures that no human has ever been able to build before that's a fun place to be okay so i, I love what you just said in that last bit which i think uh really i mean that makes a, a perfect setup to to ask you quite a bit of a lot of things but uh, you know i want to go back to one other thing that you said at the very beginning, then we'll get into this whole idea of, you know, what you're really doing in education. You you said a vision of what we can create together. And I hear that. And I can't help but think, God, if every person had a sense of clarity around that, their work would become so much easier. And waking up every day and showing up every day wouldn't be an option, but it would be just, you know, That would be the norm. It wouldn't Uh occur to you not to show up. So I'm really curious, you know, in your own work and and what you've done with people, I mean, getting to that sense of mission, purpose, and and connecting with that thing that drives us the way this drives you. And how do you find that? I mean, you work with kids, so you probably see it all day long. 
you know, I, I don't get to work with kids as often as I would like to. I do pro bono work uh, to mm -hmm. prove the things that I say. Most of my work is with, with educators or educational leaders. Um, but I work in an environment here uh, at ESDAC, this nonprofit, uh, that's very interesting because uh, we all do different things, but we can come together as a team. And there are moments of weakness when we become specialists who share a common parking lot but don't share a common vision. That can happen. I think in an environment where people are on a mission – has to be cultivated and it has to be protected and it has to be fed or we revert. We revert back to upper Paleolithic hunter-gatherers with nothing but self-interest. Um, so it's, you know, you need a leader or you need a, a, a culture that loves, thrives, protects uh, relentlessly, you know, uh, cultivates this ability for all of us to bring our peace to each one of these missions and to not be jealous, but to Lift up other people and revel in their accomplishment and let it challenge you to not to compete, but to rise in a similar fashion. I've been in places like that. They're all too rare um, and they're all too fleeting because all it takes is one leadership change and for that to be devalued and it evaporates. Um, I would love it if schools were that. Wouldn't it be nice if kids could be, be taught and to learn in environments like that, that that weren't so competitive? And right now our structures are totally wrong. I mean, with testing, with measuring people, with a bubble test, it is almost a behaviorist nightmare. Uh, and it's left over, you know, from the industrialist age uh, where we were making every person ready to hear a bell and go to lunch and hear a bell and come to work and, and be satisfied with not thinking. Um, but that is over. The world does not need those people anymore. It's screaming for people who are uh, self-directed, who know how to learn and, and love it. They love learning, and, and they're constantly self-updating software. You mm. know, and I don't think we're setting up kids for that, but I, that's what I'm preaching. I want to teach you how to learn and to love it, to learn, to love, to learn, L2, L2, L. And then you don't need me. I have just weaned you from the teat of, of dependence. You're welcome. <laughs> and, I, and I find that kids who've been indoctrinated, they fight this at first. I've had a kid, one time he yelled at me, he said, just tell me what to think. <laughs> it, it broke my freaking heart because that kid didn't think that way in kindergarten. We did this to him. Yeah. We, we divorced him from his own passion for knowing it and learning. And that's educational malpractice and that has to stop. And so it's hard. You know, I started a charter school with a colleague of mine. Uh, and we ran it for half a decade, uh, and it was all project-based learning and technology and s differentiated instruction. We had 50% gifted and 50% at risk, and they all acted like gifted because we gave them choices and we empowered them and found out who they were, bent every rule there was, and got in trouble often. Um, but that's the kind of environment, almost a mash unit, um, where you invent surgery in real time because you never know what the patient's going to need. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I love this idea of having been indoctrinated into a system, and I don't think this just applies to kids or in our schools. I think this applies to adults in the working world, yeah. uh, which is a big reason why I wanted to have this conversation. I mean, so we've been indoctrinated. I can tell you, Kevin, growing up from an Indian in an Indian family, I was indoctrinated into that system from the moment I could get a letter grade. But... Yeah. And it, and it drove an insane amount of my choices in life to the point of, of actually being detrimental, uh, mm. you know, and it all came back to bite me in the ass at a very late age in life. But what I'm really curious about is as adults, I mean, how do we strip away this indoctrination? How do we get out of it um, as adults? 
you know, I mean, and then we'll talk specifically about education. Right. I, there's a condition I call dancing in a straitjacket. Um, the first thing you have to recognize is that you're in a straitjacket, and then you start by dancing in it because you haven't broken the rules, lost your job, changed your options, but at least you're moving around inside there. <laughs> and then you start thinking about getting the sleeve loose, you know, and what you might do. And that's that's got to be a plan. You know, if you throw away your reality of today, even if it's terrible, it's paying your rent. It's paying for college for your kids, right? You can't just, most people can't leap from one cliff without knowing there's another cliff on the other side, uh, you know, uh, and I don't want them to fall, mm -hmm. but you can make a plan. You can make a plan for how to get across. You can build a hang glider, you know, whatever. So a lot of times this is a little, almost like a startup business. Think of your, your, uh, your freedom future. As a startup business, you invest in it, you know, you start thinking about what you want to do and you put a little time into it. You start getting in social media and making sure people, you know, like the brand and you find there's an audience. You hit some hashtags and realize there's a huge bunch of people out there and now you know there's potential. So it's not just a guess. I mean, I don't want anyone to, to get slammed and go back to their terrible, you know, life and, and never do it again. Um, so I think you got a plan, and I'm teaching kids this. You know, what's your five-year plan? Um, and what point will you release yourself from the shackles? Um, if you're not happy with that, don't waste your life there. But do make a plan because once you have kids mm -hmm. <laughs> and you have a mortgage, you know, it would be nice if we could be free spirits and say, I'm just going to go for it, honey. Uh, wouldn't that be cool? But it's a little harder when you're carrying when you're carrying a load of responsibility, but it's not impossible. Mm -hmm. But look around for the people who have done it, the, the ones who've liberated themselves. And if you really study them, it wasn't a lottery ticket. It was time. Mm -hmm. it, it was years. It was a plan. It was methodical. Just as methodical as the indoctrination system, uh, getting free has to be planned as well. Um, yeah, the escape the escape plan. Um, and I work with people. I do this, uh, this, this two-day seminar called Launch Me that's all about helping people very few people, I find, have sat down for two solid days and just lavished time on their escape plan. Mm -hmm. And Launch Me is about getting off the launch pad, making orbit and sustaining orbit, and building your own customized plan that you'll hold yourself accountable for. That's probably a third of the work I do now is just geared toward helping other people do what I've done. Mm -hmm. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. All right. So, you know, I, I actually want to dig deeper into this before we go uh, into the education piece and changing education. You know, my friend AJ Leon, he actually calls this a uh, um, what, what the hell does he call it? It, it? It's something similar to an escape plan. I, I can't even remember the name of it, but uh, it's some, not an exit strategy, but something along those lines. I, and he says, you know, write down in 500 words or less what you want your life to look like in two years from now. And he said it's kind of amazing because you use that as a guidepost. Um, can you give us a, a sort of condensed version of this process that people could apply, people who are listening? <coughs> Absolutely. Um, so one of the metaphors, and people hold on to metaphors. We remember in metaphor and story more than bullet points on a slideshow. Um, so one of the metaphors is the Swiss Army knife. And I ask people, you know, how many blades does your knife have? You know, right now you're going to work every day and using one blade. You probably don't even like that blade, but you have other blades, right, in the form of things you've always wanted to do, things you can nearly do, uh, things you've just dreamed of doing. But whatever those things are, pull those blades out and put a name on them, whether it's screenwriting, whether it's songwriting, whether it's whatever you decide. Okay, so now you know here are these five things I could be doing. Right, and uh, then you start focusing on those things and say, how can I get that to happen? Puzzling over what those things could be for you. And it's really important to pick things that you can really do. You know, you don't want right. to say, I'm going to be a songwriter and be in Nashville. If you're tone deaf, you got to pick carefully. I know I'm not going to have a top 40 hit, um, but I might write a song. Um, so you got to you got to be realistic about those things. But at the same time, most people live a life with their volume turned up to seven. And they don't even know 10 is there. They're so close to there if they just trust themselves and move fully into who they are and bring who they are to their work. Heck, the job they have might evolve if they did that. But they're doing work like they saw someone else do it, like they're reading someone else's script. But if they would take their narrative, their passion, and make a plan for bringing it to their work, I, I think their work could become their life's work, something they 
they're proud of, something they want to do. I have people in my sessions cry because they never thought about, they just never trusted themselves to, you know, your narrative is important. Where did you come from? What were the friction points? Own that. Build it into everything you say and everything you do because you have perfect authority with your narrative. Who can compete with you at being you if you trust you? You know, the safest place to be on stage is in character, and you should be the character, not someone else. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, and it's uh, it's just beautiful. Uh, well, let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears, and, and let's really start getting into the work around education itself, um, kind of, you know, what you see as the future of education, you know, what is, is wrong with the system today, and, and how we're going to fix all of this. Mm-hmm. Big question, I realize. Um, there's a book I'm fond of reading that that no one ever reads when I tell them to, but I think they should. It's called The Underground History of American Education, written by a man named Jonathan Taylor Gatto. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a teacher of the year in New York City schools for s- several times, and he was an amazing teacher, uh, much lauded and then uh, much vilified. He was always on the verge of being fired for the amazing, great things he was doing. And at some point, he finally retired and started writing op-ed pieces for the New York Times and wrote this book, his treatise, uh, The Underground History of American Education, which takes you back in time to colonial America and brings you forward and tells us how we got the system we have. This is worth reading. It's a very long book, and if anyone reads it, please email me because I want to talk to at least one other person who made it from cover to cover. Mm-hmm. I read it twice. I, I got to the end of it, and I started over immediately because I was part of that system. And uh, the hair stood up on my arm in moments in the book when I thought, oh, my gosh, I, I helped with this. Um, because this system we designed was over 100 years old, and we're still doing much of it exactly the same way. Uh, you know, There was a committee of 10 that met, I believe Harvard, over 100 years ago and decided what we would teach. And we're still teaching most of that. Okay, that, that's a problem. That this system of ours has not evolved to meet the needs of this world of ours. And uh, it's like uh, we're sitting in pit row and all the NASCAR cars are going vroom, 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 vroom. And we're just talking about changing. We're talking about it. We're not doing it. So uh, I'm worried that the world is moving at a certain speed and education is just moving at, at, at glacial speed. And if we don't hurry, the world's going to go around education it's so easily doable now to, to, to build, you know, an education for your kid at home. Um, there are all these amazing opportunities and places to learn online now. Um, the only thing protecting us is the fact that we need two people to work to make a living in this country. Um, but I want schools to, to get in a hurry to customize, um, to start looking at every kid and building what they need. And it's not impossible. In the old way, we had to do it this way. It was custodial care, 25 kids, an hour at a time, sitting in hard chairs that disinvite you and punish you. It was punitive. Everything about the educational system, accidentally punitive. I I see the same environments in many schools that I see when I teach in juvenile detention in lockup. There's nothing friendlier in schools than lockup. The same sort of, we're so fair, it's unfair how fair we are. We all get the same light. Look at the lights above your head. If they're fluorescent, uh, look at them. They're so democratic. No one's special. No one even gets a shadow in this room. It's all adequate, but not great. And we're building great kids in these adequate environments. We can do better than that. You know, I don't think it has to cost money. I think if we bring creativity to the environment and let kids be the stars of their own learning, let them be something. A fifth grader in Oregon said this to me. I'll do. I'll take your test. We'll do what you say. Please, God, just let it matter. <laughs> it broke my heart because I thought, damn it, it should. 
Why can't we let her change the world? She has the power. In fact, she could do it from home Mm -hmm. on her blog. But in school, we're not anointing that. We're not assigning that. So I'm telling audiences, what are you assigning? What are we giving kids to do with the most powerful learning tools in human history? I say the web and technology prepares a buffet of learning choices for our kids, and we're eating the napkins. Wow. Think think bigger. (laughs) Come on. Mm -hmm. So... God, there's just so much here. Um, this is just a you know a, a personal question. Uh, I absolutely agree that this is something that needs to be customized. There's no question because people have different strengths that allow them to thrive. And do you think that the way people have been indoctrinated into this system has actually limited the potential of what is possible in their adult lives with their careers? Absolutely. Absolutely. It limits the, because our biggest problem is that we all went to school (laughs) and we hold up, that is, and we're all experts, but we're not. We're experts of what happened to us, but we're not experts at what could have happened to us. And if we'd think that way, if you thought, what were the chafe points? What were the pinch points? What were the things I resented? Rather than being um, passive aggressive about that, what if we got proactive about that? What if I demanded something different in the workforce? What if I demanded a different kind of, of environment where we lift each other up and we don't let people go and become angry dragons of expertise? You know, you get a web guy in the corner who won't talk to anyone. Uh, his website is so good, if you can't use it, you're an idiot. <laughs> and so is the customer. That happens when you live alone in a silo for too long. You know, when we're all in these different cubicles, but we don't come together. And I don't mean once a week for a spirit meeting, you know, with Gatorade. I'm talking every day, an intentional sort of commingling of passions and ideas and and reminding ourselves what we wanted. A friend of mine, Wesley Fryer, said this. um, He talks about heartbeats. You know, how do we spend our heartbeats? Because you only get so many from birth to death. And any that you waste, you don't get back. And if you start thinking about those precious heartbeats that are ticking in our conversation right now and the people listening are spending them listening to this. So I don't want to waste their heartbeats or mine. I want what I do to matter. And I want the people I, I like and I choose to like to, to think this way. And what I love about social media, you know, right now I have about 31,000 followers on um, Twitter. Uh, and that's not a popularity thing. That's a, I'm building an army of co-believers who want to change the world, a movement, if you will. Across all social media, you know, I probably have 70,000 connections. Mm-hmm. And I'm not done yet. I want to build a movement. And I haven't moved them yet. I feed them and they feed me. It's like a vineyard. We haven't made the first wine. But we have all found each other, decided that we like each other's work. Um, and at some point, I feel this thing happening where we're going to do something more than one thing that matter um, by by virtue of our numbers and our passion and our self-identified belief um, that we're not just detached retinas out there, mm-hmm. helpless, uh, hopeless, and sitting alone complaining and becoming unibombers. We're actually, <laughs> we're doing things, uh-huh. you know? Let me ask you this. I asked somebody uh, a version of this question earlier today, and somebody asked me a, a version of a similar question about sort of navigating failure and, and all the ups and downs of choosing to do something like this. Do you, I mean, did you inherently start out with the belief that something big was going to come from all of this? And do you think that's absolutely essential to creating a movement or a mission uh, of such stature and such significance? That's a wonderful, man, yes, good, these are good questions. You know, I ask where my passion came from, and it probably came from pain and my reaction to pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than, and I met a lot of my, my code, my, 
my, my co-conspirators at the time, a lot of them reacted to pain by making excuses and building. I didn't. I, I, I became determined to escape pain, uh, to, to, to get rid of pain, to, to attack it in a way that nullified it, not, not to become its equal, to become its vanquisher. Um, and so I started designing in my head, and I knew I was going to do big things because I was not going to waste all of that pain and let it be for no reason. It had to become a movement or something that solved the problem in the future or it was for nothing. And I, I'll be damned if I let that be what was true. Um, I cultivated multiple options and talents because I knew I, I can't fish with one hook in the water mm -hmm. because I might not get a bite. I need treble hooks and I need 10 of them at the same time. So I'm going to fish in multiple places and I became a visual artist and I became a musician and I became a speaker and I became because I didn't know which one would take off. Mm -hmm. So I kept them all, and now with social media, I can keep how many hooks do I have in the water at the same time? And if opportunity bites, I can reel it in. Um, and I've got friends watching my lines for me too because I can't be everywhere. You know, success is creating the illusion that one person can do more than one person can really do. And to me, that's community and, and sharing that success with community. You know, you don't want to shoplift from people. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to create something that incentivizes them too. And some people are just happy to be part of the movement, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Man, wow, you give amazing answers to my questions. <laughs> <laughs> you ask great questions. No one asks uh, these questions. Wow. You know, it, it makes me think so much. I love that piece about success of being the illusion. And I, I think about something that has been on my mind um, the last few days as, as you know, I'm working with our chief business instigator, Gene Powell, who constantly reminds me off self on purpose and how that is our way out of so much pain. Um, to, and mm -hmm. to me, that's such a profound thing. And, you know, the reason I asked that question about, you know, believing that something big would come from all of this is because, you know, w the work we do here, I believe we are creating media that changes behaviors and t telling stories like yours that, I feel fundamentally will alter humanity and make the world a better place. And I have, you know, somebody asked me, they said, you know, did you start out with this? And I said, you know, I think the moment I plugged a microphone into a laptop, something inside of me said something big is going to come from all of this. And that I think has what's allowed me to show up day after day, month after month, year after year. And I think you have to have that. I, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't know anybody who's done anything of great significance who doesn't believe that on some level. I mean, almost to the point of being completely delusional. Right. Right. You know, um, there's this thing, uh, this, I don't, I've never talked about this in public, but there's this, <laughs> when I create, I, I sort of uh, create this milieu uh, that, that I fish in, this ether of possibility. And uh, you might call it a muse. Some people would do that. But uh, I, I sort of, it's somewhere between dream and awake. And Rodolfo Linus is this wonderful cognitive scientist who talks to me. He's like one of the foremost experts on, on consciousness and how humans became creatures that call themselves I. And he studies the brain and relentlessly. And he says that dreaming and being awake is exactly the same thing, except when you're awake, your senses are turned on. And when you're asleep, your senses are turned in. And so think about dreaming. And by the way, play is like dreaming too. Play is like dreaming. You you let ideas juxtapose that don't go together. You let them audition, right? So so your your ideas are auditioning for a part in the brain's production of understanding, and you come up with these interesting juxtapositions that never existed because you're not tied to realism or reality or all of those things. And that's where invention comes from. So if you can put yourself, and I hate to say it, but almost like an inventive trance 
where you just heard about this new tool, you know, and you think, how does that change everything? That combined with everything I know, there's got to be some new thing that's possible because of that. This is how Edison thought and Einstein thought. That's how inventors think. But we have, think of the magnitude of new inventions and new things that are happening daily. I've got, I've got a Google alert out there on certain key phrases because I'm looking for anything new that happens and I want to know within the hour. So key phrases like, this will change everything. This will change the world. Brand new invention. Amazing new invention. Because I think, what would the inventor be likely to say in his blog about his thing the night he invents it? I want to know that within the hour. Because if I can see that first and fast, I can I can make opportunity. Uh, and most people don't see the world that way. They they build a bunch of channels that come to them and entertain themselves and get lost in their own snow globe of thinking. Um, and I can't afford to do that because I'm guiding kids. Wow! Wow! So, I guess that the the sort of big question. Uh, of of all of this really is is how do we begin? I mean, and of course, you know, you're talking about taking teachers and systems and and you know administrators and people and getting them to see things in a different way and saying, you know, hey, you know what, we're going to challenge the status quo, uh, even doing it possibly at the cost of our jobs. You know, I mean, my friend Kathleen Jasper is an assistant principal at a high school who is challenging the system and getting kids to opt out of testing, which is mind blowing to watch, um, and she's done it with a lot of criticism. And against a lot of challenging odds. So, I mean, the, the big question really is how? You know, where do we start? Yeah, you can, you can sometimes measure the quality of a person by measuring the quality of their enemies um, to, to have that bravery. I tell teachers that fear and opportunity are next-door neighbors. If you just look across the porch, you'll see that. But the conversational lubricant, that's what I call these things that make people change their minds, um, is always going to be stories about kids, real kids, real things. And I collect these stories through my life, my own personal narrative. And it has power and the you know the stories of kids that I've worked with and they all know these kids some of them helped these kids and some of them indicted those kids I don't point that out I don't indict teachers I invite them through these stories I shine a light on stage beside me to what we could be doing and I invite them into that light through these stories in a one hour keynote and I've got one hour on stage in Auckland New Zealand or Shanghai or wherever I happen to be one hour to change hearts and minds. That's a powerful assignment, but an ex amazingly exciting opportunity. I mean, I feel so lucky, and, and I built this, but, but, but lucky to have that opportunity on stage to do that. Because if I change the way teachers think, how many kids' lives did I just change that day? Now, I'm not the only one like me. There's an army of people like me, and I'm connected to them, and we constitute a movement. Um, teachers want to get out of their shackles, but how do you get out of prison <laughs> uh, when they'll shoot you? <laughs> you know, we built a system called No Child Left Behind that was uh, based on the wise father model. Um, we know more than you. If you don't do this the way we say, we're going to bring you into the public square and put you in the stockade and embarrass you. We're going to put you in the newspaper. Think about the adversarial qualities of that that system. And whoever devised it was probably had good intentions, but boy, did it hurt a lot of kids and a lot of teachers. So these teachers have been stuck in those shackles for years now. So you, when you release people f from a prison, sometimes they walk out a little shy, mm -hmm. a little clumsily, a little in disbelief that they're not going to walk from this prison to another prison. So you're not just working with brand new people here. You're working with people who've been through a lot. So the number one thing I do is I honor teachers, and I honor that they've chosen to give their life to a profession that was never going to pay them well and never going to respect them well, and they do it anyway. 
So the first thing I want them to know is I see them. My wife is a teacher. I was a teacher. My son's becoming a teacher. He's joining the family business, poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so number one, I see you, you know, and I care about you. And here are some things we can do to really help those kids and change those lives. And some teachers, I believe you can flip a teacher two years from retirement who's been doing it the same way every day in one hour. I've seen it. I believe you can flip a kid. You, know, you flip a house by what, what buying it, then shoring up the foundation and improving it, right? You flip a kid the same way. You shore up the foundation, make them believe in themselves, help them find some things that they can do to improve and watch the value go up. I'm a believer that that one hour is never wasted. Man. Wow. Uh, you kind of left me at a loss for words, and that doesn't <laughs> happen too often. Mm. Truly, truly profound stuff. Uh, well, one final question. Uh, what can our listeners do to help? I think um, rather than... You know, there's an adversarial climate in education these days uh, between po- you know, politics and education, and people vilify. And uh, people who attack seldom make, you know. And whenever my son gets attacked online because he's got a nonprofit where he's trying to build schools in, in Nepal, um, uh, he gets attacked by people who judge him and say things. And, and he asked me when he was younger, he said, Dad, what do I say to this man who just totally eviscerated him on YouTube? I said, uh, well, first let's look and see what he's built and then we looked, and it was nothing. And I said, anyone who's not doing anything, um, don't give them um, status as your equal. Don't let them have a clean shot from the grassy knoll to your heart. Uh, hang out with people who are building, um, and let them sustain you. You're going to suffer attacks from people who they just—that's what they do. So rather than jump into this <coughs> this awful adversarial um, argument, uh, let's start focusing on what's right what right looks like. And let's start painting a picture for people to see and trying to move the conversation toward that rather than getting stuck in an argument that goes nowhere. Um, where, what are the examples of great education? Where are the happy students? Where are the ones who, see, I think that many kids in school are dying of being different daily. And uh, until we start nurturing those minds, first of all, if you care about the country, uh, that's where our inventors are going. That's where they're dying. I, I'm not sure, you know, a Steve Jobs or a Bill Gates uh, could get through public school intact these days with all the testing. So, where are the bastions where they're changing that? Your friend, by the way, I want to meet her. I want to have a car ride with her mm-hmm. because anyone with that kind of moxie um, doing the right thing against all odds, that's someone that's already my friend. I just haven't met him yet. Um, so so join the conversation, find out where people are talking, look for those great models, support them in social media. You know, sometimes um, my friend, Dr. Wyckoff, Dr. Steve Wyckoff, he says this, uh, most good school innovation dies of domestic violence. <laughs> because here it is, this crazy thing that's happening out of context, and the whole system will attack it. Um, like white blood cells. And so if you can come in and buttress those people who are taking the brave chance, some pig it, I call it. Uh, if you read Charlotte's Web, some pig, and they didn't make bacon out of Wilbur. So help them some pig these first starts, these these what we call educational innovation startups. Go in there and write an op-ed piece for the paper that says good things. And a lot of times the people who would do that don't. The only op-ed we see is the criticism. 
And we've got to have proactive people saying, no, she took a brave chance. Thank you for helping our kids be self-directed learners because that's what society needs is kids who know how to learn, not helpless kids raising their hand, asking for permission to pee. Hmm. Well, Kevin, this has been uh, absolutely brilliant, and I am so glad I came across your work. Uh, I think you're going to see this is going to have a profound impact on our audience. So I'm going to close with my final question uh, Hmm. that I close all our interviews uh, here at Unmistakable Creative with. Based on, on you know the experiences you've had, the kids you've seen, and, and sort of the life you've lived, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Mm. I think authenticity. I think um, moving in to who you are with um, with fidelity and trusting who you are. These people glow. These yodas. These these shaman. These you spot them. They draw you across the room, you know, and they can be sociopaths or they can be wonderful change agents, but they know who they are and they know why they are. And I'd like our kids to have that same kind of self-knowledge. Um, and when you finally get brave enough to trust yourself, um, that's when you have power. And hopefully that doesn't happen when you're 80. You know, I want to activate that in everyone. Uh, it, it, I ask this question, if I win, what happens? It, if I win, kids win. And I say, teachers, be bulletproof, uh, that you should be afraid of nothing. If you win, kids win. Let that make you a superhero. Wow. Well, I think that makes a beautiful way to sum up our conversation. Kevin, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share uh, your story, your journey, and your insights with our listeners here at uh, The Unmistakable Creative. This has easily been one of my favorite interviews we've done in a long time. It was fun. Thank you. And for those Mm -hmm. of you guys listening, we'll wrap the show with that. You've been listening to the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? 
We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.